Hi everyone, this is Ben. Quick note before the episode starts. The audio quality on my end of this conversation is fine. In fact, it sounds great with my new mic that I got from B&H Photo. But for some reason, the audio on David's side is a little bit scratchy and not of the highest quality. So my apologies for that. This is David's third time on the podcast, and the previous two times the audio quality has been fine, so I'm not sure what the hiccup was, but just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay, enjoy the episode. This is Ben Guest, and this is Ben Bo's podcast. In today's episode, David Friedman and I debate the merits of Kobe Bryant. And I think we do so in a way that is instructive about how to evaluate players in general. Enjoy. Returning champion, David Friedman, round three. Our last episode was about Charlie Rosen's book, The Chosen Game. And at some point in there, we started talking about Kobe Bryant. And we thought having an informed debate about Kobe Bryant might be interesting. Both of us have said, we don't know how many, if anybody's mind, we're going to, how many minds we're going to change. I doubt any, but um, I think it'll hopefully be informative and maybe offer different perspectives of how to evaluate a basketball player. So David, unless you have something else in mind, um, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? Uh, maybe with, with, I think you have three or four different um, domains in which you want to talk about the greatness of Kobe Bryant. Uh, I think one of them is skill sets. So do you maybe want to want to start there or do you have a different idea of how we should start? No, well, thank you for having me again as a guest. And I, I agree with what you said. What, what I, I, I would emphasize, I don't believe we're going to change anybody's opinion. I think Kobe Bryant played for a long time. Unless someone is very young and never saw him play or just hasn't followed basketball at all, they already have an opinion. Almost everybody has an opinion about Kobe. And those opinions are very deeply felt by people. And so they're not going to change. And so what we've talked about, we want to have an informed conversation. We have a different perspective. You and I are able to look at some of the same statistics or same facts, but we're drawing different conclusions. So we're not going to change each other's mind. I don't know if we're going to change anybody else's mind. I look at this as an exercise. Kobe Bryant is the example, but it's really how does one evaluate a player? How does one evaluate greatness? And so I'm going to go through, like you mentioned, not you called them domains, but I would call them criteria, but whatever term you want to use, there is a way that I evaluate players in general. And I don't have like a different way for each player. This is, this is the methodology I would apply. Any player I'm evaluating, this is what I would do. Honestly, when I played pickup basketball or play recreational league basketball, I would sit on the sideline and I'm watching the other players and I'm trying to figure things out. I am a player of somewhat limited physical ability. I needed every advantage I could get. I wanted to know, does the guy go left? Does he go right? Is he a good shooter? Is he not? So this is the way I've been thinking about basketball, you know, for decades, including, you know, as an individual player, but no one really cares about my playing career. The first thing that I look at when I look at a player is what I would call skill set. And I also want to say the way that I evaluate players it, it's deeply informed by my study of the game, both on my own and then when I had the privilege for several years of having a credential and going to games, I interviewed scouts, I interviewed player personnel people. I'm talking about at the NBA level, assistant coaches, coaches, scouts. 
And this informed and honestly, it reinforced a lot of the perspectives I had because I went there as a learner. I went there thinking, well, I've studied this for a while as an outsider. I'm going to kind of field test my ideas and see if it holds up or if these people are going to laugh at me and say, I don't know what I'm doing. And what I found is my methodologies make sense to the people who do this at an elite level. I'm not saying that every one of them agreed with every one of my conclusions, but the methods, and that's what this is about today, the methodology. And, and I actually, if anyone wants to go to 22nd Time Out, I wrote something called the Scout's Eye View of the Game, where I interviewed a number of different player personnel people and talked about how they do this. So I, I've written an entire article about this particular topic, probably more than one article, but one specifically. So let's talk specifically about Kobe Bryant skill set. So what, what do we mean when we say skill set? First, let's kind of define our terms. So for skill set, it can mean a lot of different things. I'm going to list some categories and then I'll briefly talk about Kobe. I don't want to you know, talk an hour about skill set evaluation. In no particular order, I would look at shooting, rebounding, defense, passing, footwork, ball handling. I would also look at certain physical and mental characteristics. With the physical characteristics, you're looking at size, speed, strength. Mental characteristics, you're looking at toughness, coachability, playing through pain. There are a lot of things. And a lot of these things are subjective. So you could have two scouts look at someone and come to different conclusions. But what I found out in my research, all of the scouts and player personnel people, they are looking at these things. And one, and I know a lot of times I make digressions, I'll try to make it a brief digression, but this is significant. There was an article recently or within the past couple of years about Bill Belichick and Nick Saban arguably the greatest pro football coach and greatest college football coach ever. You could argue, but they're both in those conversations. They were on the same coaching staff with the Cleveland Browns many years ago in the early 90s with Belichick as the head coach. And the two of them developed this idea for every position on the football field, you have size, speed, strength, you have these things. Now you might draft somebody outside of that box, but then they really have to check off these other things or they're operating, they're starting out at a deficit. So for a basketball player, size, speed, strength, toughness, these things are important. So with Kobe Bryant, you're looking at a player in the 6'6", 6'7", range. In the prime of his career, you're talking about someone approximately 210, 215 pounds. I know at one point he was a skinny teenager, but when we talk about the prime of his career, you're talking 210, 215, superior leaping ability, superior speed and quickness, superior agility. He is the prototypical basketball player, basketball body, all of the physical traits. There, there are no deficits or limitations when you're looking at him. And then particularly when you're looking at characteristics like that, you're trying to match it to the position he's playing. Obviously, if he were playing center, you know, 6'6", 210, that's not an ideal NBA center. But when you're talking about playing the shooting guard position, that's the ideal, that's the prototype. And then in terms of the, the mentality, the ability to play through injury, the, the focus on winning and on, on championships, the ability to perform under pressure. I mean, these are subjective things. Someone may disagree, but I would say he checks off all of those boxes. Now, with coachability. Now, with there, you know, there can be some pluses and minuses with Kobe Bryant. And I would just take one example. Phil Jackson once said, Kobe Bryant is a hard-headed learner. He will not do something just because you tell him to do it. He wants to know why. 
So if, if you say to Kobe Bryant, you know, go go in the corner and do this, and when the other when the when the ball comes up the court, cut here, Kobe's gonna say why. So now some people might look at that as a negative. Say, well, he's an uncoachable player. I look at that and I say it's a positive. He's a thinking player. He wants to know why the heck are we doing this? I'm not just doing it because you told me to do it. Why are we doing this? How does this help us win? Now there can be a fine line. There can be a balance. I would say in Kobe's early years, his first two or three years, he was not perhaps as coachable as he should have been. But if we look at the bulk of his career and the prime of his career, he was coachable in the sense that he was focused on doing what had to be done to win championships. Now, again, that's my subjective interpretation and observation. I think there's evidence for that. I know a lot of people uh, might disagree with that. Now, with the basketball-specific skill set, so with shooting, what I would look at with shooting, can you make a variety of different shots? Can you shoot? Can you finish in the paint? Do you have a mid-range jumper? Do you have the one or two dribble pull-ups? Do you have the three-point shot? I could go on and on, but Kobe had all of those shots in his repertoire. And the thing I would say was shooting, and then I would put it across the board, Kobe did not have any skill set weaknesses. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that everything was a strength. He was not a great three-point shooter. He was not Steph Curry or Reggie Miller. But the three-point shot was not a weakness. And I can get a little little bit later, I'll get into why that's important. He had no weaknesses, and he had several areas that were strengths. So I would say in shooting, no skill set weaknesses, several areas of the court where, where he was supreme particularly in the mid-range type of shooting. And then, of course, free throw shooting. He was an excellent free throw shooter. Rebounding. He was an elite rebounder for his position. I mean, that's pretty easy to verify. We can just, you know, look at the numbers. He was an elite rebounder for his position. He had double-figure rebounding games in significant playoff games, including a very famous Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Defensively. Defense, you know, it's a very subjective area to evaluate. All we have are steals and blocks. We have some quote unquote, advanced numbers that aren't really all that advanced, in my opinion. It's subjective. But my skill set evaluation of Kobe, and again, I'm talking about Kobe's prime year. So we're talking about essentially 2000 to 2013. He had a kind of an apprenticeship period before that. After he ruptured his Kellys, he wasn't the same player. We're talking about a 13-year prime. He was an elite one-on-one defender. He was an outstanding help defender. I'll just give one quote, Doc Rivers when he was facing him, coaching against him in the NBA Finals, said that Scottie Pippen was the best help defender since Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen might be the best help defender of all time. Now, Doc Rivers didn't say that. I'm, I'm editorializing that. But he was comparing him to Pippen, who many would say was the best ever in that area. So Kobe Bryant was an elite defensive player, one-on-one and help. Passing. People might be surprised how I would evaluate Kobe Bryant as a passer, but I, I have other people that would back up and support my view. I'll just give my view at this point. Kobe could read the defense well. He could make any pass. Well, why does that matter? Why is that significant? There's no area of the court that was inaccessible to him. If he was trapped on one side of the court, he could make an accurate on-point pass to the three-point shooter in the other corner. In the triangle offense, he often made the pass that led to the assist pass. Now, he was the leading assist um, player on his championship teams and on most of the Lakers teams that he played for. But he didn't have huge assist totals. But part of that is a function of playing in the triangle. The triangle is not an offense where someone is going to average 9, 10, 11 assists per game. And he often made the pass that led to the assist pass. Again, that's something we could talk about later. 
I would classify Kobe as an elite passer. I know some people might be listening and might laugh or, or turn off. They don't think that Kobe was an elite passer. That's okay. We, we can talk about that. He was, and I'll just add Hubie Brown, Jeff Van Gundy, two of the most respected basketball commentators ever. When they did his games and his playoff games, they categorized him as an elite passer. So this isn't just something like I'm coming up with off the top of my head with no basis of, of saying that. Footwork. So you look at the footwork on the wing and in the post. Kobe Bryant had elite footwork. His fundamentals were impeccable. When he was in the post, he could turn off of either shoulder. He had the head fakes. He had the ball fakes. He had the jab steps. Footwork was impeccable. Same thing on the perimeter. When in the screen roll game, whether it's with Shaq, with Pau Gasol, and they set different kinds of screens and rolled in different ways, the footwork is impeccable. And then the last thing with the ball handling, I, I would describe Kobe Bryant as an elite ball handler, where he had the ability, he could operate one-on-one -on -one against any defender, he could split the trap. I mean, I could go on and on, but again, so in those skill set areas that I described and, and, and outlined, in every way I would classify, well, not in every way, I would say Kobe Bryant had an elite skill set overall with no skill set weaknesses and many skill set areas where he was elite. So that's the first you know, set of criteria to me is skill set. The next thing that, that I look at is I would look at statistics and accomplishments. Uh, hey, David, sorry. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I think um, let's let's pause there and um, I'll, I'll start with my sort of the first thing, but it ties into skill set. Um, okay. So I think rather than going through um, sort of the four different criteria all at once, maybe let's just take it one at a time and, and do that. Okay, that, that's fine. That Does that work? Sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Great stuff. Um, I think both from what you said right now and what we've been emailing back and forth, and please correct me if I'm wrong, basically your analysis when it comes to skill set is, you know, here are eight or 10 or 15 or 16 different things a player could do on the court. You know, can they post up? Can they hit a mid-range shot? Can they go left? Can they go right? Can they finish left? Can they finish right? And I think if I'm not mistaken, basically what you're saying is what does this person bring to the table? What do they take off the table? So a player like Ben Wallace, who I think should have been a first ballot hall of famer, um, who I think is a, and this, this may be where people turn the podcast off, I think is a much more productive player than Kobe Bryant is a much better player than Kobe Bryant. If we're, if we're measuring better in terms of contributing to the team winning, but someone like Ben Wallace brings a lot to the table and takes a lot off the table. If we're talking about skill sets, Ben Wallace is not going to handle the ball. He's not going to shoot a three pointer, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, in general, um, am I right about that, David, that you're looking at, you know, different discrete skills that a person can utilize on the court. How many of these did someone like Kobe Bryant have? What did he bring to the table? And as you said, he may not have been outstanding at everything, but there's probably nothing that Kobe Bryant takes off the table unless it's, you know, guarding Yao Ming or something. Yeah, well, and, and guarding Yao Ming is not relevant because to be a great shooting guard, you, you don't have to guard a center. So I, right. I'm looking at, you know, like I said, again, it's position specific, like the height, weight, 
he had the right height weight to play his position. Most of your characterization of my perspective is accurate. I'd add a couple caveats because um, maybe I'm anticipating where you're going with something. You're saying what someone could do. I would emphasize with Kobe Bryant's skill set, everything I described, he demonstrated at the NBA level, he did those things. So like when Jerry West is looking at him as a 17 year old, he saw the skill set and projected it out. But I would say all those things became reality. Everything that I described about Kobe Bryant's skill set, he did it in the NBA finals and he did it over regular season. So I wouldn't just say when I was describing Kobe for what was that, maybe 10 minutes, however long that, probably talked longer than I realized I did, however long that was, I was describing things that he actually did at the NBA level. Now, in terms of a, a Ben Wallace, and I don't want to get sidetracked into that, but I will just say when you're talking about a post player or a big man, the skill set evaluation I would do there is a little bit different. I don't expect Ben Wallace to be crossing people over. I don't expect him to be like an elite passer. If someone is a dominant big man, a dominant player in the post, I'm looking at the extent of their dominance, their shot blocking, their rebounding, their impact. And so if I were trying, and it's honestly, it's difficult to compare a post player to a shooting that this guy was better, that guy was better. I would evaluate a Ben Wallace a little bit of a different rubric than what I was describing with, uh, with Kobe. But other than that, in general, what you're saying is an accurate characterization. Although I disagree with you that Ben Wallace was more valuable than Kobe, but we could get into that later. I disagree right, with your right, conclusion, right. but you accurately characterized how right. I evaluate things. Okay, great. And actually, I hope that maybe this can be instructive for, for you know, those hardcore NBA fans that are listening in terms of how to have a debate because so much of any NBA commentary and debate that I see online is just people yelling at each other and, you know, just being tied to their own viewpoint and not understanding what the other person's saying. Uh, so maybe instead of Ben Wallace, if I were to say someone like Reggie Miller, right? Same position. Reggie Miller is obviously an elite shooter, but he's not an elite ball handler. Um, defense, you know, it's tough to measure. But but Reggie Miller, although he was elite at some things, certainly also took other things off the table. I don't know that Reggie Miller ever posted anybody up. And Kobe, as you said, you know, was a post player as a shooting guard, had an impeccable footwork. Okay, let me to I want to set the table and then address the skill set um, issue, and then we'll go to the next okay. criteria. So I want to do two things to kind of set the table. One is, and you you mentioned this in an email, and um, it's an apocryphal story that, that's been repeated many times in the world of baseball, which is the difference between hitting 250 and hitting 300 in baseball, if there's six games a week, basically boils down to one extra hit a week. That's the difference between being you know, close to out of the league or playing in Fenway Park, right? That's the difference between being, uh, you know, eighth or ninth in the lineup and being an all-star. One extra hit a week. There's no way, and I think this story was originally, came from a reporter who was saying, there's no way I can determine that. I go to every game, I watch every hit, but how are you, how are you supposed to determine the difference between eight out of 25 hits and nine out of 25 hits or whatever the numbers are. And so same thing with basketball, right? We have to rely on the numbers because you may be the biggest Kobe Bryant fan out there. And if you played 20 years, 
you know, actually, I, have, I think I have the, the stats. No, I don't. If you played 20 years, you know, 70 games, let's say, on average a season, that's such a huge number of games. No, no one except maybe some Laker scouts have has watched every game Kobe Bryant has played. And even if you've watched a bunch of them, our mind plays tricks on us. So we have to rely on the numbers because what's the difference between 250 and 300? Um, second table setting is David Foster Wallace, the author, gave a commencement speech and it's a famous speech called This is Water. And he starts with two young fish swimming in the ocean. They pass an older fish going the other way. Older fish says, nice day out here in the water, huh? They keep swimming. One young fish turns to the other and says, what's water? Meaning if you've been enveloped in something your entire life, you don't even know that it's there. So fish, two young fish swimming in water have never experienced not water. So they only know water. And that's relevant in the NBA because the water that all of us swim in, every fan, every commentator, every player, every coach at every level is basically more points equals better. Um, and that's almost the baseline for any discussion. More points equals better. Allen Iverson wins MVP because he's the scoring leader, regardless of what his shooting efficiency is. And in fact, if we look at the players who are max players, um, it's almost always a player who scores the most points rather than let's say someone like Rudy Gobert, a current player who's incredibly impactful when it comes to winning, but doesn't score 30 points a game. So I think even his contract isn't a max contract. I think there's some caveats built in. So the water that all of us are surrounded with is yay points. More points equals better. Um, now you're obviously um, a much, you look at the game at a, at a deeper level. So I don't think you're necessarily caught up in that notion, but I think it's generally how people, it's the baseline for how people think about the game. It's the water we swim in. And last two things, and you've touched on both of these, defense is a black hole, right? Like we don't really have a good way to measure defense. And defense ultimately is a team, um, a team sport, a team arrangement, not necessarily individual because you can always just run a pick and roll and, and switch a weaker defender onto a stronger offensive player. Um, and coaching is also a black hole. At the end of the day, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I know from having been a coach, like the crazy stuff usually doesn't get out, you know? Okay, so that, that's my little setup. Um, so to skill set, as a coach, skill set is incredibly important to me and skill development is the heart of coaching, I think. As someone analyzing the game, skill set is much less important. Skill set is only important in what does it let you do on the court. So in my conception of basketball, winning comes down to three things. Are you shooting efficiently? Are you rebounding the ball? And are you taking care of the ball, i.e. not turning it over? That's it. If you shoot efficiently, um, so you're scoring efficiently, you're, you're using your possessions wisely and you're rebounding. So you're playing good defense in theory. Um, but regardless, when the other team misses, you're getting a rebound and completing the defensive possession, or you're getting a rebound on the offensive end and giving yourself another possession. 
and you're not turning the ball over. Um, so those are the things that impact winning. In a skill set, just like you mentioned physical traits, height, speed, strength, those are only important as to how they affect those factors of winning, shooting efficiency, rebounding, not turning the ball over. So in coaching, we say million dollar move, 10 cent finish, right? Meaning a player made a great move utilizing a complicated skill set to get open, but then didn't complete the possession. So for Kobe Bryant, if he's great at going left, if he can go left or he can go right or he can cross over or he can pull back or he can post up, it's only important in that is he completing that possession, meaning is he scoring efficiently? And if we look at his efficiency numbers, he is, I think, career and average. I think he's 44% field goal percentage, um, which is average. That, that, that's literally the career average. Uh, uh, sorry, that's, that, that's, that's the shooting efficiency of an average wing player. Now, I'm not saying Kobe Bryant's average. I think Kobe Bryant is an above average player but I don't think he belongs anywhere near um, the pantheon of all-time greats. Or even, again, this is another, people might just click off. I don't think Kobe Bryant was ever the most impactful player on any of his championship teams in terms of winning. So for me, skill set is only important in that it lets you do these three things, shooting efficiently, rebounding, and turning the ball over. So I think uh, I'll, I'll, stop there and let you respond. Yeah, so, and, and we had email exchanges about those concepts. So, I mean, I think you know what my answers are, but the listeners don't. So I'll, I'll deal with each of those points because you have, you have the three main criteria for you, field goal percentage, rebound, turnovers. I have my criteria, which I've only mentioned one to this point, which is skill set. But I would emphasize, because I know you're talking about skill set hypothetically, and I think this is an area where we're just going to, we're going to end up agreeing to disagree. So I don't want to, continue to belabor the point. Every skill set area that I mentioned uh, pertaining to Kobe Bryant, these are skill sets that he demonstrated in the NBA finals, in NBA playoff games. The, the numbers, the statistics back up. If you watch a game <clears throat> where Hubie Brown or Jeff Van Gundy or Doug Collins, elite NBA coaches, elite NBA commentators, Hubie Brown's in the Hall of Fame, they will watch a play of Kobe Bryant, watch a game, and they're what you know, you talk about being able to watch all the games. If Hubie Brown is doing, you know, game four or whatever game that is, Hubie Brown has watched the preceding game. So when he's giving commentary, he's saying, look here, Paul Gasol set the screen and Kobe Bryant did this. He's not, you're saying our eyes fool us, but he's not looking at that one play. He is looking at something that was a repeated action that's a demonstration of skill set that's impacting winning. So I think that's something where we I think we probably very vigorously disagree. I'll just I'll say. Kobe Bryant applied the skill set I'm talking about to winning. Guys that have similar bodies or similar skill sets and didn't apply them to winning, they ended up out of the league. They didn't end up with five championships. You know, in the in the post-Michael Jordan era, I distinguish four players above all others. I don't necessarily rank them against each other, but I distinguish Shaq, Duncan, LeBron, and Kobe. And it's not a coincidence. Those are also the guys that have the most championships. I don't know if we'll have enough time to get into all of that because, you, you know, teammates, this, that. We can talk about those things if we have time. But those guys all demonstrated. With Shaq, it was dominance 
and the other is more like an all-round skill set, they applied that to winning. But for your thing, so field goal percentage, and we had an email exchange about this. I'll condense my answer. But you talked about Kobe's field goal percentage and being right around the 45% career mark. And I gave an analogy, and I, I, I'm going I'm to give an analogy and also give a quote. I did an interview with Rick Barry, and he said something to me, and he said it to other people. It's not exclusive to me. He said, every statistic in basketball can be manipulated except for free throw percentage. He said, free throw percentage is the only pure stat. You make a free throw or you miss it. Now, someone might say, well, free throw percentage is one of his best categories, so he's biased toward that, but whatever. But there's validity. And so you might wonder, and I'm not going to go through every statistic. I'm just going to go through the three you're mentioning. But how could field goal percentage be manipulated? How could it be inaccurate? You either made a shot or you missed it. You made an analogy to baseball. A baseball hit or not getting a hit is, is much more of an objective statistic than field goal percentage. And I'm not a baseball expert, but I'm just I'm going to go out there and say that's a much more objective stat. So if a guy's getting one less hit per week in baseball, that's much more meaningful. What does it mean for field goal percentage in the NBA? So the example I'll give, I gave it in our email. If you don't know anything about 1980s NBA basketball, you just start looking at stats. Dennis Johnson, he was usually with the Boston Celtics in the 1980s. He was usually third or fourth on the team in three-point attempts, usually right behind Bird, Ainge, sometimes maybe some, one other player. But anyway, and his three-point percentage is awful. And he was shooting a lot of them for that era. Now, you might laugh because if he shot 50 or 60 a year or whatever, that's not that much now. But look at that era. That was a lot. Why was he shooting so awful? And why was he shooting, quote unquote, so many of them? Well, if you watched the games, and you didn't have to watch every game to know this. If you watched enough and you were familiar with NBA basketball in that era, he was the guy that shot the half court last second shot at the end of the half, the end of the quarter. He was the guy if the shot clock had wound down, somebody had to fling the ball at the hoop. Bird wasn't going to shoot that. Ainge wasn't going to shoot that. Their three-point percentages were important to them, and they were among the league leaders. So Dennis Johnson was the guy shooting that. But if you don't know that and you, you say, look, just we have to go by the numbers because we can't see every game, you would look at that and might conclude one of several things, all of which would be incorrect. Dennis Johnson's an awful three-point shooter. You might conclude that. You might conclude Dennis Johnson has bad shot selection and he's not contributing to winning. He's jacking up three-pointers and it's not helping the team. The reality is his missed three-pointers were unselfish plays. He was shooting the ball when nobody else would shoot it, even if it was a low percentage, if he held the ball. LeBron James is great at this now. I don't mean to single out one guy. There are other guys that do right now. There are a lot of guys, they shoot that shot a half second after the clock expires. They're protecting their field goal percentage. Field goal percentage, in my opinion, is a very poor way to compare players, and it's completely irrelevant outside of position. Like, you can't compare Kobe's field goal percentage to Shaq. It's completely irrelevant. They're operating in different areas of the court doing different things. But even like if you want to say compare it to Reggie Miller or compare it at position, it's still its role on the team. It's the way the defense is guarding them. It's their ability or um, willingness, you know, to shoot that shot where like the shot clock's about to expire. If he holds on to the ball, it's not a turnover. It's not a missed shot, but you've actually hurt the team. It might be a microscopic way that you hurt the team, but you hurt the team. And what I would say about Kobe Bryant's field goal percentage is, and I know this, I mean, he said it, he did not care about his field goal percentage. And that was in a good way. He wanted to win the game. He was taking the shot his team needed him to take in those moments to win the game, to maximize the chance of winning. He did not care about his individual percentage. 
He was the leading scorer on two of the championship teams, second leading on the other three to Shaq. So he was a productive player. His teams generally had good offensive efficiency overall. He was the leading playmaker on those teams. So he was an integral part of an efficient offense. So I find a little bit of a contradiction, in my opinion. You look at Kobe's field goal percentage and you say he was average, but you also say you're evaluating him as part of the tapestry of winning. He was a major scorer, major ball handler, major playmaker on championship teams that were efficient offensively. He was handling the ball more than, you know, Derek Fisher, more than Jordan Farmar, more than whoever. The other point guards, the other quote-unquote ball handlers or playmakers on those teams. So he was operating in a team environment of success as a major contributor, and those teams were efficient. So I think there's a, a little bit of a contradiction in what you said there. I wanted to get not to rebounding. Now, Kobe Bryant averaged five rebounds per game over Actually, the board. Dave, David, if it's okay with you, let's let's pause there and sure. let's let's drill down a little bit on on shooting efficiency on field goal percentage. Okay. So I didn't know you were gonna bring up Dennis Johnson. I'm just pulled up his stats now while we're talking. And Dennis Johnson's career three point field goal percentage is 172. So very low, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of going to what you're saying, if you just look at the numbers, his stats are not good. Um, so this is an inflection point, I think, between how you see the game and how I see the game, which is it either goes in or it doesn't. Like it's binary. You either make the shot or you don't make the shot. You know, to, to quote Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. You are what your shooting percentage says you are. So the idea of heaves and throwing the ball half court or three quarters court as time expires in a quarter, um, yes, that does happen. And yes, some players are more willing to take those shots than others. But at the end of the day, I don't want someone who shoots um, 17% from th the three-point area to shoot a three-pointer, right? I mean, that's just a terrible percentage. And the number of heaves you would have to have in a season to drag your percentage that low is astronomical. No, which, no, it's not. Which, no, let me just correct you. Just okay. look at, you can look at one season. I think there was a season that he shot maybe like 50 or 60 attempts, which doesn't look like a lot now, but you got to remember in the context of that era, 63 point attempts in a season was a lot. So just a man, and you can look at his percentage, let's say he shot like 15 out of 60 or whatever. If 20 of those were half court heaves and none of them went in, his actual percentage on three pointers where he was trying to make a squared up three pointer in theory would be like 15 out of 40 instead of 15 out of 60. So his actual, his skill set, his ability to make it when you needed him to be squared up and made it would have been much higher. You say, I don't want a guy shooting three-pointers if his percentage is bad. Now, Grant, I don't want him shooting 800 three-pointers. But if a guy is shooting 60 of them and 20 of them were half-court heaves that nobody else is willing to take, a half-court heave, it does not hurt the team. It either went in and we got three points or the buzzer sounded. The other team doesn't get a chance to advance the ball. They don't get a possession. It does not harm the team. And it's the same thing with Kobe Bryant. And I sent you an example in one of the emails. I said, let's just use round numbers. Let's say in one season, if Kobe plays 80 games and shoots, tw attempts 20 shots a game, that's 1,600 shots. If he shot 
44.7% is career average, whatever that exact number was that we were talking about, then I think it, it works out to like 715 out of 1600. Now, if we assume he did one half court heave per game and he missed every one, and, and we take those off, 1600 minus 80, that's 1520. Then you do 715 divided into 1520. I'm doing this off the top of my head. So if my numbers are slightly off, I apologize to you and the viewers. But that in increases his field goal percentage from 447, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head, to something like 47%. And again, as I said to you in the email, we don't know how many of those heaves he took. We don't know how many he actually made. We're looking at round numbers. But the idea, like when you said it would take an astronomical number of these shots to change the percentages, it, it wouldn't. And it's not just half court heaves. It's also, Kobe used to shoot what I described in my 22nd timeout article. I called them hand grenades. The, the, the possession breaks down, the shot clock is getting down to, to three seconds or less, and, 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 and somebody else was supposed to shoot the shot. The ball went to them. That guy doesn't want, they throw it to, I call it a hand grenade. The ball is about to explode in his hand. That's why I use the analogy hand grenade. Now, if Kobe cared about his field goal percentage, Kobe would have just not shot the ball. It would be, a, you know, if, if it's a team turnover, that's not even an individual turnover. If he catches the ball and the shot clock expires in the NBA, that's a team turnover. That does not affect Kobe's individual stats. If he gets the hand grenade and passes it, he might get an individual turnover or somebody else might lower their field goal percentage. If he shoots that hand grenade and misses, he did not hurt the team. The team might get an offensive rebound. They might get a foul on the other team and he's increased his team's chances of winning. But yet his individual field goal percentage in total is negatively impacted by that. And if he's willing to do that, but LeBron doesn't do it or certain other players don't do it, the difference in their field goal percentage is not relevant in the conversation of their individual greatness as players. You can't just say, well, LeBron shot this percentage and Jordan shot this and Kobe shot that, and therefore LeBron is a more efficient player. LeBron may be more efficient than Kobe. I would entertain arguments or conversations. I'm not convinced by just saying, well, it went in or it didn't. LeBron shot this, Kobe shot that, LeBron's more efficient. Now, the conversation of which guy was more efficient, that could be a five-hour conversation. But it, to me, it does not start or end with individual field goal percentage. As Rick Berry said, it's a number that can be manipulated. Also, if you don't have the skill set to shoot in certain areas and you're shooting in other areas, you might have a higher percentage, but you're less effective. And I, I want to give a brief example of this, but it's relevant. If you want to know the difference between Kobe and LeBron, like in the mid 2000s, because they played against some of the same teams in the playoffs. Kobe played against the Spurs in the Western Conference, and LeBron has played against the Spurs in the NBA Finals. And you can look at the film. Greg Popovich is one of the great coaches ever, one of the great defensive coaches. How did he guard Kobe? If Kobe came off a screen and roll outside the three-point line, they trapped him. The defense always extended to Kobe. Kobe was a threat from there. Regardless of his three-point percentage, it went in, it went out. The defense had to guard him. By the defense being extended upward, it makes them vulnerable in the paint. It makes them vulnerable. Now, Kobe might not get an assist. If, if Pau Gasol sets the screen, Kobe goes off the screen, the Spurs defense traps him. Two of their five defenders are now 20 feet, um, excuse me, 25 feet from the basket. The Lakers are now playing four on three underneath the foul line. Kobe passes as a release pass to Odom. Odom passes to somebody else. Somebody else gets a wide open shot and shoots. There is no statistic that shows Kobe's impact. He's impacted winning. 
And, and you can say, well, David Friedman is just saying that. Who is he? He didn't play in the NBA. He didn't coach. Well, if you watch the games, what I have just described is almost verbatim how Hubie Brown, Doug Collins, Jeff Van Gundy, the elite NBA commentators that are not quote unquote Kobe fans that are not biased. That is how they break down and describe those plays. Now, LeBron James, when he played against the Spurs, and I was at two of these games. I was at the home games in the 2007 NBA Finals, home games for the Cavs. When he comes off the screen and roll, the Spurs sag off of him. He is not a threat from there. And therefore, they are now playing five on four in the paint. And LeBron can shoot as many of those outside shots as he wants. What were his statistics in the 2007 NBA Finals? Low field goal percentage, high turnovers, and his team got swept. I'm more concerned, you know, that his team got swept. And they got swept in part because of his skill set weaknesses. And I know we can talk about his teammates. There's a lot of different things. But Kobe had high turnover. I mean, excuse me, LeBron, high turnovers, low field goal percentage. And it was because of the skill set weaknesses. Now, LeBron improved over time. But even now to this day, he can still be defended a little bit differently and a little bit more easily than Kobe could in his prime. Those are things you have to look at because it's unlocking and opening up the other players on the court. So it's very important to understand those things and not just say, well, you know, Kobe shot this, it went in, it went out. It's, it's more sophisticated. It's multi-layered to, to evaluate individual players in their impact on the team. It's not simple, but you're right. What most of these debates devolve into is people shouting back and forth and not trying to really analyze it. But if you're really trying to analyze it in depth, there's multiple layers to it. So I understand what you're saying, but I, I respectfully and, and, and vigorously disagree. disagree with it <laughs> for the reasons that I said. Right. And I'm not, I don't know if it persuades you or not, but it gives two different perspectives to the listener to hear your perspective. It went in, it went out. Skill set doesn't matter if it's not being applied right. versus my perspective of the skill set is impacting the other team's defense, how they are guarding the player. And right. then, yeah, Adam, so, you had a response and I, I wanted to get into rebounding and turnovers also. Well, let's, 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 um, stick on shooting efficiency for a little bit longer. And then, sure, you know, okay. if we just happen to drill down on one subject and that's it, I think that's interesting, more okay. interesting than the typical um, Kobe's a dog debate. Uh, so heaves, right? Throwing the, throwing the ball half court um, at the end of a quarter. To me, that's a good example of you have to rely on the numbers because you've seen Kobe make a heave. You've seen Dennis Johnson make a heave. Does that mean Kobe did it once per game, which would be 80 heaves or 82 heaves in a season? Does that mean he did it um, once every five games, right? Like you don't know and I don't know. There's no statistic for that. So that's just a black hole. You're making one assertion, which is Kobe took 40 heaves a season or, or whatever the number was. And I haven't made an assertion. If I were to step back and think about it, I would say, I don't, you know, Kobe might've made 10 heaves a season, but neither one of us knows. It's just an empty field. Um, it's an empty statistic because you and I don't know the number. So then I fall back on, is Kobe Bryant shooting efficiently? Is he scoring efficiently? And his career field goal percentage is 44.7%. 
Um, and it, during his era, an average wing player shot 44%. So would you agree that Kobe Bryant is not above average when it comes to shooting efficiency? No, I disagree. And okay. again, I'll go back to my points because field goal percentage is not a measure of offensive efficiency. Field goal percentage is just, it went in or it went out. It's not telling me, you know, there is like when you're talking about, like if you have a guy, let's take an extreme example to make the point. Let's say we have a limited role player. He plays 10 minutes a game. He shoots the ball two or three times a game. He's a wing player and he shoots 50%. So does that make him a more efficient player than Kobe Bryant? Now you might say yes, because it went in, yes, it went out. Yes, 100%. You say yes. Well, but to me, but if I have 10 of those guys and that's my team, I'm going to have a garbage team. There is a reason, like, um, I, I love this quote. I think, I can't remember if it's either Jalen Rose or Jay Williams came up with it, but they both use it on ESPN. And they'll talk about somebody's open. And they say, like, they used to say when they were in the NBA, they would be shouting, he with us. Meaning, like, that guy's open. He's open for a reason. That was the other quote. He's open for a reason. And he with us, which is not grammatically correct, but obviously it means, like, that guy's with us. Every time he shoots the ball, he's with us. That's why he's open. A guy that can be left open, he with us, even if his shooting percentage is good, he's hurting the team. It's the same thing. That's at the lower level. If a guy's playing 10 minutes a game, he's shooting the ball three times a game, and he's shooting 50%, he's in the role he's capable of filling. If you would then, you can't extrapolate from his 50% shooting. Well, let's just play him 40 minutes a game and have him shoot 20 times, and he'll be better than Kobe. It's a flawed assertion. There's a reason that guy's playing 10 minutes and shooting three times a game. What Kobe Bryant demonstrated, and again, I'll, I kind of have the same points like I read over and over, for a 13-year stretch, the prime stretch of his career, from the first championship with the Lakers till the season where he ruptured his Achilles just a few games before the season ended, he demonstrated he could play 35 or 40 minutes a game, play most of the games of the regular season. He didn't miss a ton of games. I don't think he ever missed a playoff game. I missed one playoff game, I'm sorry, against the Pacers in the finals for the sprained ankle. I believe that's the only playoff game he missed. I might be wrong. But in general, he was available. He was available for heavy minutes. He carried a primary scoring load, a primary playmaking load. His teams were efficient. His teams won championships. To look at somebody, whether it's Reggie Miller or Ray Allen, those guys did not carry the same workload. They could not handle the ball. They could not run the offense. They didn't play defense. The same, at the same level as Kobe. So to just, you, you say, do I agree that Kobe's field goal percentage proves he's not an efficient offensive player? No, because field goal percentage is a limited statistic. And if you actually, if you take it to an extreme, if you just look at the all-time field goal percentage leaders and say, these are the most efficient offensive players, or these are the greatest players of all time, you would have what I would consider, and you might disagree, you would have what I would consider to be a very odd list of the greatest players of all time. Michael Jordan is not in the top 20 field goal percentage or top 40 or even top 50 field goal percentage of all time. You know, it's more complicated than that. Like people want simple answers. People want, I'm going to look at these three stats or these three things. And, no. and you know, I've been writing about Kobe Bryant, you know, almost his, you know, for almost his entire career. It's not simple. This stuff is not simple. If we're really trying to get to the truth and really trying to understand it, it's not, I'm going to look at three stats. I'm going to look at three things. I mean, like I have like, as you talked about four criteria, but then within skill set, I've got like nine bullet points. Then I've got, you know, other criteria we might even talk about today. And within each of those criteria, there's multiple bullet points and caveats and comparisons. 
like people might think when I write about Kobe Bryant or any other player, I'm just like writing something off the top of my head because that's who I like or that's what I think. And I don't think people understand the depth of analysis that's going into it. Now I might be wrong. That I mean, just because I went in depth doesn't mean I was right. I could be in depth and be wrong, but there is an in-depth nature to, to what I'm doing. Field goal percentage is not the best way to compare players without all of that context. And you say, well, I don't know how many heaves Kobe took. I don't know how many Dennis Johnson took. You're right, but you don't know either. And you're still using a statistic that has those things, those limitations in it. You're willing to use the statistic without knowing. I'm saying I don't want to use that statistic as a primary comparison point because I agree with you. We don't know the exact. But if you're a follower of the NBA, if you followed Kobe, you followed Dennis Johnson, whatever other player, and you really know their background, their resume, you know, even if I don't know how many Dennis Johnson shot, I know he shot enough of them out of 63 point attempts or whatever in that given year. I know he shot enough that it materially affected his percentage, but it did not hurt the team. And when I say heaves, I want to clarify. I don't just mean half court. I'm talking about these hand grenade shots where it's five seconds or less than the shot clock, the possession broke down, the ball went, I'm, here I'm talking not more about Kobe than Dennis Johnson, and Kobe took a shot because the only alternative was there was going to be no shot on that possession. And that happened a lot of times, and he would take those shots. And other quote-unquote great players, or not quote-unquote, but other players that are great players would not shoot those shots. They, they held the ball and it's a shot clock violation. They pass it to somebody else. And you can say, well, it couldn't account for the whole difference. It might not account for the whole difference, but it accounts for enough of it that then you say, well, this isn't really the factor, and now we need to look at other things. If we normalize those field goal percentages of Kobe and LeBron and certain other players, and it's not this yawning gap that you see on paper, then you start to look at the things that I would say are important. The skill set. Kobe had to be defended differently Actually, than LeBron. Let's let's let, yeah. let's let's pause right there, David. So, sure. um, you know, here's another area of disagreement. I think, which is, you're saying you know that the shots that Dennis Johnson took, the the heaves or the hand grenades and so forth, that that materially affected his three point shooting percentage. Yeah. And and I'm saying, how do you know that? You know it because you saw him do it several times, and now you're extrapolating that it did have this effect. Well, it's but you don't actually know, right? No, I do. No, it's easy for it's easier for Dennis Johnson than for Kobe. And that's why I'm using it as a small example to show the uncertainty in the larger. Because if you just do the numbers, if, if let's just say, and I don't have his numbers in front of me, but let's just say one year he shot 15 for, or 10 for 60 from three-point range or something. So 10 out of 60, that's what 16% or whatever, it's a bad percentage. But let's just say, even if just 10 of them were heaves, and, if, and I'm telling you, I know it's more. I followed the NBA at that time. It would, that almost, he was not, if you watch the Boston Celtics. But, but, but how do you know? That's my point. I'll tell you how I know. Because yeah. if you, at some point, it just comes down to like, sometimes I say to people like either, and I'm talking about the you specifically, but just like the general you, the impersonal you, you either know the game or you don't. If you followed the Boston Celtics, the actions that they ran at the time, their offense was, you know, Larry Bird on the left block, Larry Bird on the wing, Parrish on either block, McHale on either block, Ainge coming off of actions to shoot three-pointers. They never ran a play that culminated in Dennis Johnson shooting a three. It was just not part of their offense. 
if he shot a three-pointer in that era on that team, it was almost by definition a desperation. It was just not part of their offense. Now, you can say, well, we don't know it for sure. Well, I mean, we don't know anything for sure. I mean, quantum mechanics would say, you know, we don't know if Schrodinger's cat is dead or alive till we observe it. You know, if, if you really delve into quantum mechanics, does time exist? Like, I mean, if you really want to get, you know, metaphysical about it, like, how do we know that anything really exists? I mean, at a certain point, if we want to evaluate a player, we, we make certain assumptions. We have certain things that we understand that we reliably know. The Dennis Johnson example is a great one because it's a small, small enough size of numbers that even if we could just assume, like, I, I know there were at least 10 of them. If you take 10 and say he was 0 for 10, he missed all of those heaves, you take 10 off of 60 and divide the makes into 50 or whatever, it materially changes that percentage. And that's just one small example, but it's the limitations of field goal percentage. It's also like people will compare, you've talked about Ben Wallace, people will talk about Tyson Chandler. If we ever get into it, oh, Andrew Bynum, and I know you like Dave Barry and Wages of Win. Dave Barry would go into this you know, a, a, a thing like a drive me nuts. Andrew Bynum's a more efficient or a better player than Kobe Bryant. He'd look at the field goal percentages. And Bynum's field goal percentage was higher than Kobe. Well, I would say, again, there's not a simple answer. You can say it's a make or a miss. Okay, well, why is Bynum's field goal percentage high? Bynum's field goal percentage, I'm being repetitive, it's high because when the Lakers ran in action, two players went out to defend Kobe. Kobe passes to somebody else. The ball ends up to Bynum, who's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-none. -on -one. He scores. I have some statistics here. There, were, there was a seven-game stretch, I think, in the 2012 season where Kobe didn't play. Now, from what you're telling me, Kobe is dragging down the team offense with his ball hogging. You haven't said ball hogging in the podcast, but you've, you've mentioned it. I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say you consider him a ball hog. He's ball hogging, and he's not efficient. So we can now test your theory over seven games. He's not in the lineup. He's being replaced by a bench player who, in your mind, is more efficient. What happens to Pau Gasol's field goal percentage? What happens to Andrew Bynum's field goal percentage? They should at least stay the same. In theory, they should go up because they're getting more attempts. Their field goal percentage is cratered. They cratered. And you can say seven games is a small size, but that's the sample size that we have. And that's reality. That's what actually, it's not you or me theorizing. Well, what would have happened? People say, well, the Lakers could have won championships with Vince Carter or Tracy McGrady or, or Ray Allen. And I, I had this conversation with you by email. Like at a certain point, we can't just delve into the theoretical. Kobe Bryant played 20 years. Vince Carter played over 20 years. McGrady played a long time. Ray Allen played a long time. And what I would say is Kobe won five championships. He was a major player on all of those teams. Maybe somebody could have done something else. We don't know, but we live in a world ultimately where that was what happened. And then if we get into the teammates, and I'll just mention something I said to you in an email, and I challenge anybody listening to this podcast, if they can come up with an example, you know, email it to me or send it to me. When Paul Gasol joined the Lakers, we started seeing all these media reports. He's the best all around big man in the NBA. Now he played in the NBA for several seasons before joining the Lakers. If anybody can find me one article where anybody called him the best all-around big man in the NBA before he played with Kobe, I would love to see it. He made the all-star team once. He didn't make the all-NBA team. He never won a playoff game. So this notion that Gasol was the best player on the team and could have won with any other shooting guard other than Kobe, we'll never know for sure. We can't run that simulation or do it in, real, in the real world. We can't run a real-world simulation. But the best thing we have is how Gasol played several years without Kobe Bryant. He was not a dominant individual player. 
He couldn't win a single playoff game. As soon as he played with Kobe, his individual numbers went up and he was part of a championship team. Then he had years that he played without Kobe, didn't win. And you can go down the line of Kobe's teammates. Shaq had his best let's, years let's, with Kobe. Uh, let, 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 let's, sure. let's pause there and a um, couple things. I think that one, as far as what the media narrative is, is Pau Gasol the best big man that Kobe's ever played with? Um, you know, who can win with who and who can't win with who. To me, it's all just gossip, right? It's all just, uh, we don't know. Like you said, it's theoretical. And, and neither you or I are interested in the theoretical. Um, what, what, is, what we agree 100% on is that yeah. context matters. So we can't compare Kobe's um, field goal percentage to Shaq's field goal percentage or Kobe's because yeah. they play different positions. We can't compare Kobe's field goal percentage to Clay Thompson's field goal percentage because they play in different eras. We can't compare, you know, Kobe's field goal percentage to Jerry West because there's no three-point line, etc. So in the, you know, not in theory, but in reality, we have this number. This number is Kobe Bryant's field goal percentage. We have this number, which is the field goal percentage of an average wing in the same era. And it's the same number. It's 44%. So I, I guess with the heaves and all of that, um, what I see is you going through machinations that I see a lot of Kobe fans going through, which is to explain, well, this number isn't actually representative of Kobe's field goal percentage, but that's Kobe's well, field goal I percentage. Don't, well, I'm saying two things. Well, one, and I'm not, and I'm not, saying it as a Kobe fan or saying it specific to Kobe. I say it about Dennis Johnson's field goal percentage. I say it about anybody's field goal percentage. I'm just, Kobe's the primary, you know, the focus of today's conversation. That's the guy we're talking about. But you could tell me any player in NBA history, and I'm at least from the post-shot clock era, I don't claim to be an expert like prior to the shot clock era. Post-shot clock era, almost any significant player you mentioned to me, I can tell you the contextual factors of what, what their field goal percentage actually means based on their role on the team, how they were defended, was there a three-point line, et cetera. And so I do not just do a straight up, whether even in the same era with the same position, it still doesn't work. Because if I'm comparing Kobe Bryant's field goal percentage to the quote unquote average wing that played from 1997 to 2016, it still doesn't work. Because the average wing, the average wing played 15 minutes a game and took six shots a game or whatever, whatever the average wing was doing. The average wing was not running I mean, the offense. I have, I, have, I have the stats. Okay. The average wing per 36 minutes. I just worked it out per 36 minutes. 15 points. That's 10 points less than Kobe, who averaged 25 per 36 okay. minutes. This is, this is for his 2008 year. So this is his MVP right. season. Um, average wing, 15 points, five rebounds, three assists, two turnovers. Kobe Bryant, same amount of minutes, 2008 MVP season, 25 points, five rebounds, five assists, three turnovers, both shoot 44%. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I consider to be the flaw. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. I'm not like saying to you the number, like it's like not real numbers. The numbers are real. I'll tell you the flaw in it because, and, and this is the flaw in per minute statistics in general, whether it's per 36, per 48, per 100 possession, People think that this is a brilliant way of looking at things, but the reality is an NBA game is one discrete, separate 48 minute event. 
in order for the team to win, they have to manage the minutes of all of those players versus the players on the other team to have more points than the other team at the end of the 48 minutes. So a guy that plays five minutes, I don't care what his per 36 minute stats are. I could care less. The guy playing five minutes a game, do you know what those five minutes are? They're five minutes at the end of a blowout against other reserves that never play. Some of them are, are goofing around or whatever. The stats are meaningless. And comparing, putting a bunch of those players into a meat grinder and saying, well, okay, well, the average wing in 2008, he, he averaged 15 points for 36 minutes. You know, you're including, not you personally, but that, that stat. Not, again, when I say you, I don't want it to sound like I'm attacking you. The stat, the per 36-minute stat, that is a meat grinder of every guy that played in the NBA at that position, at that wing position in that year. That's including the 12th man that got into a game for 90 seconds, and he shot one for one from the field. He shot an uncontested layup when the game. Now you're going to say, well, how much does all that matter? But when people don't understand math, the large numbers, when you're putting all of that in there, the shots that Kobe Bryant took, one, his per 36-minute stat, he played 36 minutes per game or 30, whatever his exact number was in his MVP year. So Kobe had the physical ability, the mental ability. We get back to the skill set analysis. Kobe could play 36 minutes a game. Kobe could take 20 shots a game. People do not understand that in and of itself is a skill set. Do you know how difficult it is to attempt 20 shots per game in an NBA game just to do it once, let alone do it over a season? Most guys in the NBA can't do that. Everybody sitting on the bench in the NBA says, oh, man, if I could shoot as much as Kobe, I'd average as much. No, you wouldn't. You can't shoot 20 times a game. Your body will break down. Your mentality will break down. You can't do it. So Kobe's per 36-minute stats are what he actually did playing 36 minutes per game for a team that ultimately won a championship. And you can't compare. You cannot extrapolate and say, well, this guy that played five minutes a game and shot 50%, and this guy, we're going to put them all in a meat grinder and compare. Right, and then right, you're saying, well, right. your perspective is Kobe played 36 minutes, and he only averaged 10 points a game more than the average wing, and his percentage wasn't good. Somebody else, we could have bumped their minutes up, and he could be just as efficient. But I'm thinking, they're, well, yeah, you're nodding your head, yes, that's what you think. But I disagree with <laughs> yeah. that because I mean that 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 is our our yeah, fundamental other, disagreement. One of them, players because because I'm like I'm like yeah they should have played Trevor Ariza more well, and you're like Ben that's yeah, insane. There's a reason there's a reason all those guys are playing the minutes that they play or or don't play and you cannot there's a reason those guys are playing that Andrew Bynum you look at his right. per minute stats or whatever you know there's a reason Bynum was playing the minutes he's playing you know what the reasons are he was out of shape yay points huh yay points. Who? Yeah, yay points. The idea that that, that more points is better. That, that, you know, I mean, a little bit cheeky, but uh, but no, I, no, I do no, think but, that's the reason that, was playing... that everybody, even the coaches, even the scouts, they're all breathing the same oxygen. No, no, it's more not. It's not. It's better. more. It's no. It's it's more nuanced than that. And again, these are conversations I had, some on the record, some off the record, with different people in the NBA over the years. There are reasons guys are playing the minutes that they are playing. And, and if, a, if, a, if a guy on the bench that's shooting 50% and three shots per game, if he could shoot 20 times a game and, and shoot that percentage, he would be doing that. Coaches want to win. They want to keep their job. They want to make money. They want to win championships. Well, let me, let me, and the let other me, thing is, it's, and again, this is a holistic thing. It's not just Kobe's right. field goal percentage. Kobe was an elite defender. Kobe was an elite playmaker. All those other things that I mentioned. 
So it's not just, well, he shot 44.7% and he wasn't quote unquote efficient. We could bring in another guy to be more efficient. The other guy that you think would be more efficient, one, he wouldn't be because if he played 36 minutes a game, he would be exhausted. He would fall off. He couldn't do it. Two, he couldn't pass like Kobe, couldn't defend like Kobe, couldn't rebound like Kobe. So you'd be putting a guy in there and increasing his minutes his productivity. This is what I think is a major flaw of the quote unquote advanced basketball statistics. It's the over-reliance on the per minute data and the assumption that these guys are robots. This is Trevor Ariza is not Trevor Ariza bot. I can't just take Trevor Ariza from 17 minutes and, 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 and program him in. Ding, 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 ding. Now you're 35 minute Trevor. He, he's not the same guy. And whether or not people believe that or understand that, that's a reality of NBA life. So let's let, let, let's actually drill down on that, David, because that, that is another area where we disagree. Now, you know, of course, somebody's playing five minutes. It's not right to then multiply that by six or seven and say, well, that's what their averages are. But I do think that someone who plays 18 or 20 or 24 minutes a game, that gives you a good indication of... No what their stats are. I know I'm saying this is an area where we disagree, what their stats are for the, you know, if you increase their minutes. But I can tell you so why. As an example, I, I, hold on one okay. second. As an example, what I'll do is point to Oklahoma City Thunder this season and the past couple of, of weeks where they're basically sitting every productive player they have in, in the hopes of getting a, a higher um, lottery they're tanking, right. So all the, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dortz, all their productive players, they're sitting, and yet they still score 100 points a game because those points are going to be filled, whether or not they're playing 12 guys who probably, you know, couldn't stick on most teams, which is what they're doing, those points are still being filled. So when you say, well, you can't just expect somebody to come off the bench and you increase their minutes and they score more points, my example, Oklahoma City, that's exactly what's well, happening. Well, you're looking at the team level, and the one thing at the team level, the NBA has a shot clock. So every 24 seconds, you've got to shoot or turn the ball over. So you're right. From a certain extent, the team stats are fungible. The team is going to produce X amount of points or X amount of rebounds or whatever because of the nature of the shot clock. But the flaw in the idea where you're saying, well, if a guy plays 20 minutes, that's close enough to being a starter that I could extrapolate him to 35. No, you can't because – you have to look again, like I say, these are deep, complex issues. If you're playing 20 minutes a game and you're coming off the bench, you are playing 20 minutes a game, most likely predominantly against reserve players. Now, if we bump you up to 35 minutes, there's no way to avoid matching you up with starters. There is a reason the coach is not matching you up with starters for 80 games a year. You're not good enough as a player. That's why they're not doing that. Or you don't have the stamina. There's any number of potential reasons for that. So what you're doing in 20 minutes a game versus reserve players, there we in no way do we know that you could do that against starters. Again, that's why the whole the per 36 minute, the average guard was 15 points and 44% shooting, or whatever, and Kobe was this. It's it's literally a meaningless comparison because you're comparing somebody with a different workload playing against different people to what Kobe was uh, compiling his statistics predominantly against starting players, and he was able to maintain the productivity in the 36th minute or whatever minute. Like he, I mean, I guess someone could do some kind of regression analysis and say, well, actually, Kobe's shooting percentage in minute 30, if someone really wants to dive deeply into it and say he was fatigued and he shot worse. But in general, like you say, we've got a large enough example. He played 36 minutes a game. That's what he shot. He did it against starters. 
but he wasn't having a drop off by the 36th minute. If you take a bench player that is conditioned mentally and physically to play against bench players for 20 minutes a game and play him for 36 minutes, now he's playing much longer and he's playing against starters. His numbers are going to go down. Now, there can be one or two exceptions. You can find guys that, you know, a, a Paul Westfall or whatever, you, you know, he couldn't get playing time in Boston because they were stacked in the 70s. And he went to Phoenix and became an all-star. But again, if you did a skill set analysis, he wasn't sitting on Boston because he wasn't good. There are times in NBA history where there have been somebody that was sitting just because he was on a stacked team. But the average typical NBA bench player is a bench player for a reason. He's a very good player. He's on the 99.9 percentile of basketball players on earth, but he's not Kobe Bryant. He's not LeBron James. He's not any of these and, other and, people. And see, I think that's a good point also. You know, again, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're disagreeing amicably, but it's, that's, yes. that's a, a point where we disagree in that, you know, your, your point is, hey, these coaches know what they're doing. These scouts know what they're doing. They're experts in this domain. So Paul Westfall aside, if Trevor Ariza is not playing or so-and-so is not playing, there's a, um, a good reason that that person's not playing. And what I'm saying is I, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen, you know, too much um, genius level ability to understand all of this because again, the water that we're all swimming in is a player who scores more points is better. And if we look at the history of MVP voting or rookie of the year voting or first team all NBA or who gets a max contract, it almost always comes down to who's scoring more points, not who's scoring more points efficiently. Why don't I give you the, the last word and, and you wrap up however you want. I think both of us had a lot of different things that we want to talk about, but I actually think just focusing on a pretty niche um, category of one part of a, a player's skill set. I actually think maybe that that's, I've enjoyed this more than I thought I would, I guess, because <laughs> we're not just doing this scattershot approach, but we were just drilling down on one or two things. But why don't you go ahead and take the last word and uh, that'll be, that'll be it for today. Yeah. So I would say, so you focus on field goal percentage, rebounds, turnovers. Th those are good things to look at at the team level. I think a big difference in the way we're looking at it is how applicable are statistics from the team level to individual player evaluation. And then pivoting from that, after we do that, how do we then determine how much impact Kobe Bryant had on championships? So Kobe Bryant won five championships. Your opinion is because of his individual statistics, that leads you to conclude he had less of an impact on those championships than I conclude or than other people conclude. And I have a different way of looking at that. And I just, can I, so I want to quickly, we never talked about rebounding or turnovers. I want to take like a, like one minute or so on each, just to say, as an individual rebounder, Kobe Bryant was elite at, at his position. Now you can say some guy averaged five rebounds for 36 minutes, a wing player, but that guy didn't play 36 minutes. Kobe played 36 minutes. He got his rebounds when he was going against Tim Duncan, he was going against Garnett. He wasn't a bench player getting rebounds in limited minutes against bench players. So as an individual rebounder, he was elite for his position. The numbers backed that up. The teams that he played on rebounded well. And when his big men were out of the lineup or ineffective in key playoff games, he had playoff games, he had 15, 16 rebounds. So his individual rebounding and the rebounding of his team, he, he played a role in that. With turnovers, turnovers is fascinating. It's also a very misleading statistic, just like with field goal percentage. And I'll just conclude with the turnovers because you were talking about, well, Kobe Bryant's a high turnover player. So just taking real quickly, 
first championship team for Kobe, 2000, last championship team, 2010. Both of those championship teams, he had the most individual turnovers per game. Well, he was tied with Shaq on the one, 2.7. In 2010, he was the leading turnover player on the team. And so I, if I'm understanding, you would say, well, he's hurting the team. We could put some other wing guy in there that turns the ball over less. And, and you said to me, the only way you would be persuaded is if I could show you Kobe's turnovers aren't hurting the team. And so the statistic I sent back to you in an email, though we didn't really discuss it further. I'll just throw it out there for you and for the audience. Yeah, Kobe led the team in turnovers or tied with Shaq in the one year. But both of those years, the Lakers offense was top five or top six in fewest turnovers per game. Now, what I conclude from that, and you might conclude differently, my conclusion is Kobe was a major scorer on both teams the primary playmaker. He was in the game 36, 38 minutes per game. So he was on the court most of the time and he handled the ball a ton. He was shooting, he was passing, he was dribbling. People always say assist to turnover ratio. That, you, that's not a binary option. When I'm playing basketball, my only option is not assist or turnover. I can dribble, I can shoot, I could hold the ball and have someone take it out of my hand. So if Kobe Bryant's in the game for 36 minutes a game, absorbing minutes that other lesser players could have had, and his turnovers are under three individually, and his team is in the top five, and they win a championship, I look at all of that evidence, not just the individual turnovers, I look at the whole picture, and what I would, the, the way I would describe that is, Kobe Bryant was the primary scorer and the primary playmaker on a team that was efficient offensively, they ran the offense and did not turn the ball over, and they won a championship. And I am skeptical that I could take a guy that played five minutes per game and averaged fewer turnovers per minute, put him in Kobe's role and have him do all the things that Kobe did. So we've at least, we spent most of the time on field goal percentage, but I just wanted to throw out there with the rebounding and the turnover. And I, I, I hope that I was fair to how you would describe things, but where I differ from you in how I would evaluate those things. And I would not evaluate an individual player on those three statistics that you mentioned. I would look at those areas and say, how did that player affect the team? But you and I still disagree on that ultimately, even when we do it that way, you and I still disagree, which is okay. So the listeners have over an hour's worth to consider. Um, plus I've, I've written 15 years worth of articles about it that they can also, if they really want to dive into that and they can look at Dave Barry and they can look at Dan Rosenbaum. So. A lot of research material for the interested yeah. listener. I, I, I think the, I mean, this has been more enjoyable than, than <laughs> I anticipated, not because um, I, I enjoy conversing with you about all this, but so often I'm sure both of us and people listening have just had debates where you're just kind of banging your head against the wall because neither side is giving an inch or understanding the other's point of view. I guess giving an inch isn't the wrong word. I mean, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong, but at least understand another person's point of view. So I think, I hope for the listeners, this has been helpful in that he or she has gotten a bunch of different ways to potentially try yeah. to evaluate a player or a team or to think about the game of basketball. We've talked about a couple different concepts and ways to do that. So I think that's been helpful. So David, thank you as always. Please tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, I'm at, uh, my website is 22ndtimeout.blogspot.com. It's spelled two zero and then the word second timeout. And the reason for the name is I primarily write about NBA basketball. NBA is the only level of the game that has a 20 second timeout. So any informed person looking at that can immediately figure out, hey, this is a website that's primarily about NBA basketball. I do have some other basketball content on there, 
uh, some Olympics coverage from the past, a little bit of college, but it's mostly NBA basketball. For those of you that made it all the way through the podcast, if you're interested in my take on Kobe Bryant, there is a sidebar on, uh, on the right-hand side of the homepage of 22nd Timeout that doesn't have all of my Kobe Bryant articles, but has a lot of them. I also have a sidebar for LeBron James, for uh, Michael Jordan, uh, for Julius Irving. So anyone interested in, in more content, agree, disagree, or whatever. And if people post comments, as long as it's respectful, I will answer. You can go to any Kobe Bryant article I wrote and find a wide range of opinions. And as long as people weren't name calling and weren't just repeating the same thing over, I'll listen to the same thing once. I don't want the same, the same point five times without additional evidence. But so anyone can make the same point once and present their evidence. I will read it and respond. And then, and then we can move on to different evidence or different points. But I, I'm always interested in the dialogue um, with, with the readers if they want to do that. And I think in addition to your analysis, you are a, and this is how I first discovered your work, you are an outstanding NBA historian. Not even NBA, you're an outstanding basketball historian. So I think there's a lot of value on your site in terms of understanding historical context, players who haven't gotten so much publicity, et cetera, et cetera. So David Friedman, thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. This is Ben Guest, and this has been the latest episode of Benbo's podcast. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Have a great day.